0: can open up with me again in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. This will be the text we're looking at this evening. If you're using a pew Bible, that can be found on page 1210. And we'll read Hebrews chapter 12 and the first 13 verses. Therefore, "'Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men "'so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. "'In your struggle against sin, "'you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, "'and you have forgotten that word of encouragement "'that addresses you as sons. "'My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline.' And do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Let's pray. Lord, we have before us a challenging but precious Word. And we thank you that your Word is fully and absolutely inspired by you. Teach us this evening. Guide us in our understanding. And may you shape us by this text here in Hebrews chapter 12. And may you be the great God who is glorified in this room. Amen. To start with this evening... Let's consider a question. How much do you delight in the sovereign will of God? How much do you delight in the sovereign will of God? Now this evening we're going to be focusing our attention on verses 4 to 11. And even just reading it, we can see just how difficult and how challenging this passage may be for some people or may be for all of us. And it's my prayer this evening that as we look through this passage, we will be filled with a sense of joy and delight in the sovereign will of God as we consider the challenges that are presented before us in Hebrews chapter 12. So we're going to cover this section in three stages. The first stage is going to be very quick. We're going to think about what the problem is identified in the passage. And we see in verse four that that is the struggle against sin. So that'll be the first point. And then our second point, we're going to think about why we have this struggle against sin. And we'll be spending quite a lot of our time looking at that section. And then we'll conclude by thinking about the glorious application that we can find throughout this passage here in Hebrews chapter 12. Now in the first three verses of this chapter, we don't have time to look at them in any great detail this evening, but there is a great joyous thing in these verses because there is a word of encouragement given to a struggling people. A lot of us are very familiar with the phrase, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. And the reason for that is because Jesus is our Savior. And that's a precious truth. And this is a precious passage of encouragement that is before us this evening. A precious passage of encouragement. So let's look at verse 4, and this will take us to our first point. We see here at the beginning it says, In your struggle against sin. Now there's two things that we need to draw out from this phrase. And the first one is the fact that this is a very real situation for the readers that this author is writing to This isn't simply a general teaching given to people who may at some point struggle against sin. This is a people who are actually going through a time of difficulty, a struggle against sin. And it may be awfully easy for us to then conclude, oh, well, they must be very weak or immature Christians. But looking at Hebrews as a whole, what we have is a letter containing a lot of deep and rich theological truths. And so this is probably more than likely a very mature people that this author is writing to. Because every single one of us here in this room at different points and possibly right now have faced struggle against sin. Possibly because someone has cheated against you. Someone has said a lie or malicious gossip. Or perhaps because of our lusts and our own selfish desires. Every one of us struggles against sin. And the second thing to observe this phrase is what the author means in his original context. When we think about this term, struggle against sin, First and foremost, this would have been in reference to the difficulties and the sins caused by other people. Because we have a letter where the Christians that are being written to have faced much persecution and much difficulty, as we see in chapters like chapter 10. And if you just look up to verse 3, we see, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men. And that's a reference to Jesus. So we have the struggle against sin that's first and foremost caused by the sins of other people. But I'm sure the author also would have had in mind the sins that we face in our own hearts. Our difficulties, our struggles, and the battles that we have from within. And what we have as we look through these next few verses is the author trying to address a people who are in a time of struggle against sin. And we notice even in verse 4, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now that's a reference to what we see in chapter 11. Because all throughout chapter 11, there are a number of Old Testament characters that are mentioned having been facing persecution or even having faced death because of their faith in God. And what the author is reminding the people here is that, yes, you may be struggling against sin, but you are not struggling to the point where your blood has been shed or you have been killed. And often for us, when we are facing times of struggle, it can be quite good for us to remember, well, yes, we are facing difficulty, but there are those throughout this world that are being brutally attacked and even murdered because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And that's quite an important thing for us to remember at any point in life. However, when... People are facing inward struggles against sin, caused by others or caused by ourselves, how often we become so inward-focused. And what we then find in verse 5 onwards is a very surprising shift in focus. And this takes us to our second point, why we and why the readers struggle against sin. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, we already know why we struggle against sin. It's because of other sinners, and it's because of us and our sinful desires. Well, let's just read verses 5 and 6. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Now, it is absolutely true to say that our struggle against sin is caused by sinful man here on earth. But what the author is doing here, he is going much, much deeper. And what we find is not a passage that says our sin, struggle against sin is because of sinful man. We find a passage that says our struggle against sin is because of almighty God. And that is difficult. Very difficult. When we see phrases like this quote from Proverbs chapter 3, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you. And then in verse 6, we see mention of the Lord's discipline and the Lord's punishment. These are very, very difficult phrases when we think about our great and sovereign God. And it's very precious to know that this is a passage that unpacks this quote from Proverbs chapter 3. Because automatically, when we see this quote, negative connotations come in mind. Discipline, punishment, rebuke. Uh Uh-oh, I've done something wrong. And as sinners here on this earth, we have done something wrong. But surely we would expect if we are sinners saved by grace, that such terms like discipline, rebuke, and punishment are no longer relevant in the Christian life. Well, look just at the very beginning of verse 5 once more. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement. So this quote in Proverbs chapter 3 isn't, the author saying, well, you're struggling against sin, and I'm afraid it's because of God. What the author is saying is, you're struggling against sin, and it is because of God, and this is an encouragement. So the author is very positive about what we have before us, which at face value seems very difficult. Because this is a very difficult text that is presented before us. And in order for us to start to think about how it could possibly be seen as something positive, let's ask the question, what is this discipline based upon? And if you look at verse 6, we see the answer. The Lord disciplines those He loves. And the love of God is going to be the answer and the way in which we approach our struggle against sin. Because in a very difficult section of Scripture, we have a very relational way of thinking about this great God. Not only does He discipline those He loves, but we also see He punishes everyone He accepts as a son. So God loves his people, and he accepts his people as sons. And these are two important truths that we must hold on to as we look through this passage. Because this is a difficult text, and this quote from Proverbs 3 is very difficult for us to comprehend. Let's remind ourselves of the opening question. Do you delight In the sovereign will of God. A God who we read in Ephesians 1 4, has planned our our being before the creation of this world. And a God who will perfect a good work in us until the return of Christ. But also a God who uses our suffering and our sin as discipline and punishment. This isn't a text that says you're going to struggle against sin and then God is going to come and make it better. This is a text that says God is the reason for your struggle against sin. It is discipline. Well, in God's word we see that God is not the author of sin. He has no sin in him. He is flawless. His word is flawless, as we see in Psalm 18, verse 30. And so, if we are to be true to Scripture, we cannot in any way say that God is the one who is creating this sin. But we do see that God is using it as discipline, rebuke, and punishment, from verses 5 and 6. Let's look at verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. Now again, in our sinful notion of who God should be, we would perhaps expect this text to say, endure hardship until God makes it better. But I would argue that if the text said that, then that would be a lot more problematic and deeply, deeply concerning when thinking of a sovereign, great God. Let me explain this. If we were to say that there is times of difficulty, there are sins, there there is suffering, there are struggles, and God has nothing to do with that because he's sinless, and then he comes and makes it better then what we automatically do is limit the almighty sovereign Lord. It is absolutely true to say that God can make situations work for good, but it is not true and it is fatal to say that God is detached from some parts of this world. If God has nothing to do with the suffering and sins in this world, then what we in effect say is that God is in some way conditioned by man. And even worse, conditioned by sinful man. And that is not in keeping with a sovereign God who is all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipresent, omniscient, and perfect. To know that God has the devil in a vice. To know that he is in control of sin and suffering. This is far more comforting on a deeper level. To know that he is in control of it all because he is sovereign and he reigns. This is the God that we worship here this evening. And yet we still have this big problem. How can this sovereign God have anything to do with suffering and sin? We know from his word that he is sinless. Well, there are many truths in God's word that cannot fully be comprehended by us as finite, confined, sinful beings. But let's praise God that passages like Hebrews 12 can help to shape our understanding of the sovereignty of God. Let's look back at verse 7. It says, endure hardship as discipline. So there is a recognition. We are enduring hardship. That's not an easy thing. The author's not suddenly saying, "Yet yeah, you should be skipping down the street because you're going through hardship. This is difficult. However, what we do see is endure hardship as discipline. So again, this word discipline is seen as something positive. And the reason for that we see more clearly as we read the rest of the verse. Endure hardship as discipline, God is treating you as sons. So what's beginning to be painted here is this picture of God as our Father and us in Christ Jesus as his children looking to the Father. And that's a wonderful picture to try and start thinking about. God is our Father and we are his children, who he loves and who he accepts as son, as we see in verses 5 and 6. And then the author cleverly asks in verse 7, For what son is not disciplined by his father? Now this is brilliant stuff. This is so comforting. With the negative thoughts that we may have about God disciplining and punishing and rebuking, this picture of a father with his son can actually start to shape our thinking and see that this is actually something positive and the discipline of God is for our good. What son is not disciplined by his father? The discipline of God is precious because it points to the fact that we are dependent children on our Father in heaven who cares for us and loves us. Ask yourself this, what would a person be like without discipline? Because the author here in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 8 does that very thing. And he answers, if you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, verse 8, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Now, before coming to Edinburgh I worked as a secondary teacher in a, an academy where there were a number of challenging pupils and part of my remit was to work with these challenging pupils and I often had a lot of meetings with the pupils of these parents and I always knew I was in trouble with some of these parents if they had nicknames for all the friends that they had but <clears throat> one thing that I really knew was quite clear when I had these meetings with these parents is the lack of boundaries, the lack of discipline, the lack of guidance given to these children. And when they came into a school environment, they had no sense of right or wrong. Some pupils in schools actually grow up as teenagers with no sense of what's right or what's wrong, or what they think is right is absolutely wrong to most other people in this country. And here in this passage, we have this picture of the need for discipline. It's not just saying that discipline is good. It's actually showing that it is necessary for the children of God. Because without discipline, we would be going AWOL in our sin no sense of boundaries, no sense of direction. We wouldn't have the Father guiding and shaping us. We would either become kings in our sin or despondent in the difficulties and struggles we face. And in all these cases, we would be doomed straight for hell. The cleverness of this picture of a loving Father guiding his children, which includes discipline, is so, so important for our understanding as believers in Christ. For example, when I was younger, I remember being given money to get an ice lolly from the ice cream van. I was obviously very young at this point. And my mom gave me a certain amount of money and said, give me the change. And I realized I actually had enough money for two ice lollies. And so I decided that I was going to buy two ice lollies because, well, I had enough money and it's no big deal. When I told my mother what I'd done, not only did she take away the ice lollies, but she said that I'm not allowed to go out and play with my friends, it was only half past six in the summer, it was light skies, and I was really annoyed and angry because I was lying in my bed looking at the bright blue sky outside. Now, for me looking back in hindsight, and for people listening to that story, my mother was absolutely right with the action that she took. And I'm so thankful to the Lord for the discipline of loving, God-honoring parents, because discipline shapes us as we grow. It shapes our character. It shapes our thinking and our awareness. And yet, how often do we approach Almighty God, the perfect Father in heaven, like little children, questioning everything that God does? In verse 9 we read, Moreover, We have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. And Lord willing, that is true for many of us here in this room. And then we read, How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? The comparison between our earthly fathers and our heavenly Father is vast. Our heavenly Father always knows what is best. He always does what is right. And he is our father who loves us and accepts us as sons. And we are his children who benefit so greatly from his guidance, his instruction, and even his discipline. And this is where we start to come to our third and final point. The application, which we're already seeing throughout this chapter. How richly we can be blessed by the discipline of God. Let's remind ourselves once more of our question. Do you delight in the sovereign will of God? The sovereign will of God accepting us as sons, as His Father which includes disciplining, punishing, and rebuking us because he loves us. We are his sons. And the reason that we can call ourselves his sons is because Jesus Christ is our Savior. And again, going back to the idea of God's sovereignty, Jesus wasn't an afterthought when all the bad things had happened, as if Jesus had to come and fix this mess it was always the perfect will of God to use our Lord and Savior in the face of sin, in the face of suffering that He faced so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be called children of the Father in heaven. And that is precious news. The discipline of God shouldn't make us feel down and despondent, Entirely, It should fill us with such a wonderful joy to know that God cares for us so much. One of my favorite films is The Dark Knight Rises, and I certainly would recommend you watch it if you haven't. And one of the main messages in that film is, why do you fall? And Batman learns so that he can pick himself up. Now, I love this film, but that message is absolute nonsense. Why do we fall? So that God can pick us up. Our struggles, our pains, our suffering, the discipline, the rebuke, the punishment. This is the discipline of the Father for his children whom he loves, making us more like Christ so that we can be picked up and wrapped up in his everlasting arms. What a God we worship! And the comparisons we see keep coming as we look at verse 10. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good. So yes, our fathers and our mothers can discipline us and do what they think is best, but sometimes they will make mistakes. Sometimes they will get it wrong. God never gets it wrong. God is always in absolute control. His ways are best. Do you know that the ways of God are best? We can be like little children facing a busy road, traffic coming both ways, the sins that we face day by day, and we can take hold of the Father in heaven like little children and know that we are absolutely secure in his loving arms. And that's why we read here at the end of verse 10, God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. God is a father giving himself to us And we can even share in his holiness because of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. But verse 11 reminds us of the incredible difficulty of this passage because it says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. So in verse 4, we have struggle against sin. In verse seven, we have endure hardship, and now here in verse eleven, discipline seems ple- no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful because of the struggle against sin, our urges for sinful things in our lives, our desire for alcohol abuse, sex money, position, pride, the hurts caused by others, the suffering and the pain that we may face today. It is very real. And the author here in verse 11 has not forgotten about it. And praise God, he never forgets about it. He is always with us. And this is why we read here in verse 11 at the end. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness. And this is why this evening's message is titled God's Discipline, a Harvest of Righteousness. Because we share in our relationship with our Father as his children. That includes his guidance and his discipline, his love and his punishment, because this is altogether the care of our Father to his children. And what it produces is this harvest of righteousness. This isn't some distant God who's lost control of our lives, or a God who doesn't care for us. This is a God who wants what is best for us. And what is best for us is Him and everlasting life with Him. And so when we read this phrase, later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness. This is the sort of agricultural language that we see so often in text in the New Testament. This term harvest basically means The gathering together of some matured crops. And so this picture being painted is the idea of God's people being gathered together and maturing. Maturing together in faithfulness. Maturing as His children who are being disciplined and shaped by the loving Father. And what that produces is this harvest of righteousness. Being right before God. That is what God is doing in our lives in Christ. He is making us right. And that includes discipline in the face of struggles, suffering, and pain. Just like a young child growing up, being guided and disciplined by his parents, will maybe be shaped for some great things in life we are being shaped for great, great things. Right service for God. Right for the kingdom of God. And right for eternity with God. And if there's anyone here in this room who is maybe exploring Christianity or hasn't committed their lives to Christ... What's presented here is a passage that seems to be very difficult and something that we'd maybe think, I'm running a mile from this sort of God. But what this passage is actually saying is that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior of all who believe in him, then you will become children of the great sovereign God. He will become your Father, a God who is in control of it all. You will have a relationship with Him. You can depend on Him. You can trust in Him. And you can rest in His loving arms because this is the God that is presented in Hebrews chapter 12. And as we close together as a people, as children of God, the answer to the question surely must be, yes, I delight in the sovereign will of God, because his ways are perfect. I maybe can't understand everything of this God, but what I know of this God is that he loves me, and he will shape me through the good and through the bad. A God who disciplines because he loves A God who punishes because we are his sons being shaped by the Father. What a wonderful God this is. The great sovereign God. Let's pray.